0: Hi, and welcome to the Days Gone podcast. I'm Claire Weaver, a screenwriter, author, and Days Gone fan, and this podcast is a place to discuss the game in all its glory, share my opinions, both popular and unpopular, and listen to me fangirl over one of the best games ever made. There will be spoilers ahead, so continue at your own risk. Welcome to The Freak Show. Just a couple reminders before we get started today. Every morning at 7.30am Pacific Time, you can watch me livestream my Survival to Fresh Start playthrough. I take on hordes, talk shit about rippers, and lay waste to ambush camps all before I've had my morning cup of coffee. You can find me on my YouTube channel, just search for Days Gone Podcast. And on Tuesdays, I join Spornicus Rex on his YouTube channel for a collaborative livestream playthrough of Days Gone, he goes into advanced gameplay tactics and strategy, and I discuss the story, the characters, and all the amazing details of the game. You can find us live on the Spornicus Rex YouTube channel every Tuesday at 6pm Pacific. Today's episode is something I've talked about many, many times on the podcast, but never before have I had the opportunity to discuss this with an actual licensed professional. Of course, I'm talking about mental health in days gone. Joining me is licensed mental health professional, Zach Geiser. He is an LPCC, which is a licensed professional clinical counselor, and an LPAT, which is a licensed professional art therapist. Zach, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing pretty well. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm very pleased to be here. This is the first time I've done something like this, so it's an experience for sure.
0: I'm so glad that you reached out to me because this is, like I said, it's something that I've talked about a lot, but I I am not a licensed professional in mental health. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm really psyched to talk to you about all of this and kind of get into this. I want to start, first of all, I introduced you as a licensed professional art therapist. That sounds really cool. What is that?
1: Yeah. Um, it's a growing field. Uh, I don't think many people readily know about it, but I'll, I'll try and give my best uh, working definition of what it is. So a licensed professional art therapist is a real therapist. Uh, they can see clients, they can bill for services. But art therapy is a form of counseling where the artwork is almost its own person in the session. It's not about how well somebody draws or paints or sculpts, but as the art therapist, we can kind of guide clients um, into making pieces of artwork that focus on certain themes about their life, perhaps. Uh, We do this through a variety of modalities, and we can get people to talk about the different themes that come up in their artwork, which often reflect on events that have happened in their own lives. So, you know. The American Art Therapy Association is a national organization. Uh, They kind of define art therapy as engaging the mind, body, and spirit in ways that are distinct from verbal articulation alone. Um, Art therapy actually encompasses uh, the kinesthetic and sensory aspects of our person. Mm -hmm. It also uses perceptual and symbolic um, opportunities that, that allow people to communicate in ways other than simply words. Which, which is a big thing, especially for kids or those who have a hard time just putting into words what is going on in their lives, which can affect all of us. Uh, it can be very symbolic. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with Carl Jung, but he used a lot of symbolism in his therapy and is almost a grandfather sort of figure of of using the symbolic to get people to look at deeper levels of their own personalities and conscious consciousness.
0: It also sounds really... Uh, kind of fun and like not uh, like when we think about therapy sometimes it sounds ah, just kind of very upsetting and very um, like not something (laughs) that would be a pleasant experience but creating arts like a good way to get into it.
1: Yeah one of the most fun experiences I had actually was going through school for this and doing some of the art therapy myself in a group setting because then we can talk about it as a group afterwards and we can see what's going on in our lives and how other people relate or maybe things other people bring up, we realize we're not the only ones going through that. And there's Mm. some benefit to sharing that.
0: Yeah. It's all about communication, I guess. In a way, I wonder if you could sort of look at the creators of Days Gone and be like, is Days Gone their art therapy? Are they telling us something <laughs> about themselves?
1: <laughs> I, I wouldn't uh, put it out in the realm of impossibility. I think the things that we create, especially art, and I, I consider Days Gone uh, a form of art just mm-hmm. because of all the the intelligence, the creativity, the passion that went into making this. Definitely, I would think the creators put some aspects of themselves into the game.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm i a screenwriter and a, specifically like horror and sci-fi and damn, I mean... Everything I write is just riddled with my own issues, (laughs) my own problems and my own thoughts. I mean, you can't help as a creative person, you can't help but put yourself into what you create.
1: I know it all too well. And that's awesome that uh, you specialize in sci-fi and horror. Those are my two favorite genres as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, they're the best genres. (laughs)
1: let's just just call it as it is (laughs) not everyone knows it but it's undeniable
0: (laughs) so before we get into the specifics of days gone and the details of the game i do want to just touch on mental health in general in Mm -hmm. the real world can you talk a little bit about some of the everyday issues that people face and what exactly the purview is of a mental health professional
1: well let me first just kind of give a broad definition of mental health just so we're all on the same page and we know what we're discussing The definition that I've come up with is mental health is how a person thinks, feels, and behaves. It's the quality of one's ability to manage stress in relation to their ability to be functional within the context of their culture. So in maybe more layman's terms, uh, how well somebody is managing themselves in relation to the world around them. And I I give that definition because uh, there are different cultures in this world. And some things fly in one culture that don't fly in another, uh, whether it's concepts of spirituality, religion, or just behavior, you know, within a relationship, uh, family dynamic. So,
0: I mean, speaking as a Brit, we mm. have a lot of like stiff upper lip, soldier on, don't don't <laughs> mention anything that might be troubling mm. you. Um, you know, that is our baseline. That's how you're culturally supposed to be. Yeah. Versus, you know, I live in America and here it's a lot more wear your heart and your sleeve be a lot more open with what you're feeling and what you're thinking.
1: Mm -hmm. Very true. I mean, you said it, not me (laughs) about British culture, (laughs) but um, yeah, I think some, some parts of the world, some groups of people do have stereotypes and that's, or generalizations and that's kind of perpetuated. I don't know how we get to those points necessarily as a group of people, but yeah, there are different groups of people that. Are more relaxed about certain subjects than others. Mm. Um, So you talked about how mental health or what are some common problems that manifest in everyday lives, right? Yeah. I guess we could talk about the positive aspects of mental health as well as as some of the more that are unpleasant, because I think there is a balance there. Mm -hmm. I'll start with the unpleasant so we can end on a positive note there. Uh, Some of the unpleasant things that come up in mental health, uh, things that put pressure on us, that We have a hard time balancing um, in regards to our own standards. So I'm a pretty punctual person. If I don't get to some place on time, it stresses me out, right? I get angry at the other drivers on the road, perhaps, Mm -hmm. or the weather that's slowing me down, things that I can't control. And if I don't put it into that perspective in terms of knowing what I can and cannot control, uh, I I can get pretty emotionally worked up. Arguments among friends or spouses obviously can affect one's mental health um, especially if grudges are held if we don't work through them or we're unwilling to you know mental health obviously spans from the very little to the more serious topics Um, loss of loved ones uh, major changes in one's lifestyle um, having to move relocate can be a good thing if a parent has to relocate for a job opportunity alas we know it disrupts uh, the children's kind of foundations and some of their friendships that are very important at a young age. Um, yeah, I mean, there's an endless list, right, We're of the human experience there in terms of what causes stress in people's lives. Yeah. But there are things that improve our mental health as well. And like I said, uh, positive, healthy friendships, uh, people that validate us, that help us feel accepted for who we are, flaws and all. That's a big aspect. Um, having hope for. The future for things improving knowing or believing that there are some things within our control that we can make a difference in our lives and in our society or the world at large Um, Mm -hmm. finding purpose and meaning in one's life on a more broad sense uh, is almost necessary i think it is an integral part of having good quality mental health
0: yeah i find it really interesting how people in general, just the idea of of our species, how social we are and how influenced we are by our connections to other people. I mean, you talk about a lot of the stresses and a lot of the uh, positive things to get from interactions with other people. So whether it's Mm -hmm. like you have an argument with someone or someone validates you in some way and makes you feel good about who you are. And it's like, we're all from a psychological standpoint, we're all very dependent on other people and the world around us and how that affects our internal stability it's fascinating
1: claire Claire, i'll say that's that's a really insightful comment and i i don't think i planned on bringing it up till the end but you hit the nail on the head that it's my personal experience um in my own life and with working with hundreds of of people is that it comes down to relationships Mm. Uh, relationships either on an individual level uh, our relationship with groups like our whole family right? There could be many people, uh, generations as well. Uh, Relationships between ourselves and our neighbors, our community, uh, you know, other people of a similar nationality, right? You can expand it Mm -hmm. into different rings. But yeah, uh, that, that I think has the largest influence on our mental health is our relationships and the quality.
0: Yeah. Do I get a gold star for that?
1: I, I will give you a gold star and <laughs> <laughs> a free therapy session, but you sound like you have your head screwed on straight. Already, so.
0: I sound like I have all the answers. I mm-hmm. actually don't. Um, <laughs> I mean, that sounds like the perfect seg into our actual topic of the day when I mean, you talk about relationships. I mean, Days Gone oh, yeah. is all about relationships. It's all about the brotherhood between Deacon and Boozer, the love that Deacon has for Sarah and Sarah has for Deacon, the balance of the world between the different camps, and the the balance in the world between the ca- the humans and the freaks and the uh, you know all the <laughs> yeah. infected. It's this dynamic world that is all about relationships. So. I mean, let's let's get into it, because that's yeah. the fun stuff. That's what we're here to talk about. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So I say all the time on the podcast that Days Gone is like a study of trauma and grief and mm-hmm. coping mm-hmm. mechanisms or mm-hmm. outright av- avoidance <laughs> tactics.
1: Mm-hmm. It is, <laughs> um, yeah.
0: So let's start with just the definition. What do we mean when we use words like trauma, grief, PTSD?
1: Yeah, yeah. So trauma, um, without necessarily meaning post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, because um, PTSD is a specific diagnosis, but we're talking about trauma as just a general concept. Uh, it's an emotionally distressing response to what we could objectively call a terrible event. Um, and that's mm-hmm. according to the American Psychological Association there. Um, so it's it's very subjective um, in terms of what what we consider trauma in our own lives, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we'll get into the different traumas that some of the characters in the game have faced, but we as people in real life, we likely have all experienced one or more event that match this definition. Um, in fact, I've never met anyone that hasn't, uh, honestly, everyone's had a worst day of their life and, right. and that sits in our memory, whether it's largely impactful or just a, a passing, uh, memory of the past. Uh, a former supervisor of mine actually referred to this as small T trauma. Uh, mm. Some things that most people have encountered at some point in their life, but maybe it's not world changing. It's not character defining, uh, but they're things that stick out in our memory, right? as pivotal moments in mm. our development. What I consider large T trauma is probably more in line with what comes to mind for the average person, uh, surviving a tornado, earthquake, robbery, assault maybe even breaking a bone. Um, and I have to believe the typical person would consider uh, a freaker style apocalyptic <laughs> event to be traumatic. right? right. It, it certainly upheaves our modern way of living. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want me to talk a little bit um, or continue talking a little bit more about defining trauma in the background of that, or if we want to want to go more into the characters right away.
0: I mean, yeah, we can get into it. My next question was really going to be talking about the world. I mean, you, you bring up the idea okay. that, that most people would consider a freaker <laughs> apocalypse or whatever we're calling it, a post-society <laughs> yeah. world as being big T trauma. Um, yeah. The world of our characters is just on a good day for them, really highly stressful. Um, and this is, you know, if you're living in a camp and it's not being attacked by marauders, or mm-hmm. freaks, or you know, <laughs> internal conflict, or anything like that. Even on a good day, you you've lived for two years in this extremely stressful environment. what does that do to a person i mean that's just ongoing continual low-level stress of where's food going to come from when are you allowed to rest when can who can you trust when can you let your guard down It's, it's crazy to think about just existing on a normal day in something like that
1: right i mean when i've played through the game um that was one of my first, you know, coming from this background, that was one of the first thoughts I had, the things I noticed. I was like, how are these people dealing with this? Like, how would I deal with this if I was in this situation? You know, my thoughts, I don't know. Other, other professionals might have a different opinion, of course. But the issues they face are much more simple than what we deal with right now. Hmm. Um, like you said, it's where do I get food? How do I survive? Where do I get gas for my vehicle? Uh, very basic kind of concepts. I mean, of course, they do deal with relationships between the different camps and all the drama that stems from that, but I feel like that's almost like sprinkles on top. That's not absolutely necessary for their survival. Right. But I would think the, the wear and tear of just the daily grind of having to go out hunting and watching your back or having to trust this person that you only met maybe a few days ago to watch your back That could be very unnerving. I think a lot of people would be on edge. It it activates um, a different part of our brain, I'll just say, than maybe the part that you and I are firing up right now by having civil discourse and (laughs) discussing something that we enjoy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, It plays up the nervous system. It's going to be on high alert, right? It's playing on that the the mammalian part of the brain where it's all about survival um, and keeping your emotions in check. I think that's why people end up joining some of the camps that maybe they're not the most comfortable with, but Mm. it's a safe haven, and that's much more easier to put up with Copeland's crap than have to worry about where you're going to eat your next meal or if you're going to survive the night.
0: And also thinking about joining someone like Copeland's camp. I mean, Tucker's camp is a a different animal because it's basically a slave camp, Um, but someone like Copeland's camp, it's only really – Probably, I would imagine Copeland. That's the nut job. You're going to join, and you're going to very quickly find people that are like, "Oh yeah, we know Copeland's <laughs> full of shit, Second Amendment, and all of that." It's like, oh, whatever. We just smile and nod, and right. it, you know, you find camaraderie. I think even in circumstances like that, because you you just you naturally are going to join other people who, or, or you're going to find other people that think the same way. And even if there's like one standout nut job everyone else is almost gonna bond better because you can bond together over laughing at Copeland
1: absolutely um, that's one of the things too in in this game or in this if this event style event were to happen in, in our world um, of course it would stress people out and, and deconstruct many people's lives but I do think if we have a common enemy people can, look past other differences and kind of unite over a common cause. yeah. Uh, and that that would be a big thing, a big positive, big plus to keep people from killing each other entirely. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what we were saying about the psychology of just the human mind, how we naturally need to belong with other people. We need to connect that inner world is influenced by who we're around. And yeah, I think it's just a, like you say, it's a natural, um state that we would find ourselves in that we would band together and it's just it's kind of what humans do best
1: yeah a- actually um as a species or an organism um evolutionarily speaking that's how we became top of the food chain mm-hmm. uh, you know we we aren't the fastest creatures we don't have thick hides we don't have large fangs um so it's like how did we beat or overcome uh, lions and rhinos and crocodiles? And I think it's because we we work together as groups. Mm-hmm. Um, we have all of our different skills and talents. And that's why relationships are so important. And that's why I think relationships cause the most stress in people's lives, because they are so important. Right, um, right. We have to have those ducks in a row.
0: Yeah. Also, we learn from each other. I mean, think about all mm-hmm. of the knowledge we have it's we're standing on the shoulders of everyone who's gone before us. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: you mentioned Carl Jung, you know, he's he's taught you various things about your profession um and influenced so many people in your profession. You know, with me, like I didn't just come to screenwriting and just invent it. Like it's cinema <laughs> right. storytelling has been around literally for millennia. Yeah. um, and the stories and the the narratives that I create, people understand them because they also know millennia worth of storytelling rules and i guess build a collective understanding and we know how to use that we know the value of it
1: yeah storytelling man uh i think it's probably one of the most important aspects of what uh, has helped us grow um technology wise and just just mm-hmm. keep it together as a species and, and i think that's what i like about days gone so much is that it's an excellent story yeah. um you know, looking past just how much time and effort uh, things look in the gameplay, um, it's the story, man. The, the the actors that they chose are just on point for the mm-hmm. different characters. Like I, I, couldn't have cast anybody different. Uh, they were really getting into their roles as well, um, and just how it unfolds. That just kept me on the edge of my seat. You know, for the first half of the game, not knowing if Sarah was alive or not, and then even finding out that she is, and and everything that unfolds there is mm-hmm. just holy cow this is this is pretty believable um so let, let's I'm gonna jump right into the characters because yeah no I don't, I don't want it. to get ahead of myself and there's there's certain things that pop up in the game yeah that I, I would love for us to talk about
0: sure yeah let's do it um I mean of course starting with our boy Deacon
1: yeah absolutely um so I know in one of your previous podcasts it might have been the one actually right before this uh, it was mentioned that there are signs of trauma or PTSD that show up in Deacon's uh, mannerisms or the things that he says. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing that popped into my head is, you know, right in the beginning of the game when you're going through that tunnel with Boozer, mm. he has an impulsive aggression and a lack of regard for his safety. Yeah. Uh, he's very focused on his wife. Obviously, we know after playing through the game, uh, he doesn't admit that. So he like represses that feeling of loss and sadness and it comes out and something that's probably much safer for him which is anger and violence Mm -hmm. um yeah we see him grieving over the death of his wife by visiting her tombstone at least at that point we're not sure if she's alive or not but that's his way of dealing and coping with that is you know well if she was alive she could hear what i'm saying and if she's not here now i'm going to say it anyway in the hope that maybe she can hear it in the afterlife and at least gets that pressure out of his head Uh, he's able to voice his thoughts and kind of untangle that that knot of emotion that he has going on right i have a question doesn't he kind of indicate that he regrets like selling people to the work camps at some point or there's a backstory there yes
0: yeah so it's it's kind of hard to pick up on it took me like two or three playthroughs to really kind of get deacon's redemption arc because Mm it it almost um the story is so apparently about him finding Sarah. And yet his redemption, he actually is, I've described it before as being, he's one step away from the abyss. He is mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. to, he's hes kind of lost his humanity. And mm-hmm. he's been selling people to the work camp, to Tucker's camp. And he got kicked out of Lost Lake for it. And, uh, and he's still, I mean, he goes and gets Lisa for Tuck. She says to him, there's a teenage girl, go get her. And he's like, okay. I mean, what else is he getting a teenage girl for? Like, it's not it's not for the teenage girl's sake. It's not yeah. it's not that. It's I'm a work camp, I need able-bodied people. Oh, I found one. Go get her for me. I need her to come here and dig, or whatever it is she's gonna be used for. And he does it, and it's through the story with Lisa that he starts to realize, oh shit. I am about to completely lose all humanity and mm-hmm. I need to not do that. <laughs> I need to, I need to rethink my actions, rethink where I'm at. And it's through that storyline that he actually starts to connect again with other people because he goes and gets her the, as I call it, the useless rock, the thunder egg <laughs> that she likes <laughs> that she collected with her dad when she was a kid. And, oh. and it's like, it's a useless piece of garbage, you know, it's right. just some knickknack. And Lisa even doesn't see the value in it. But Deacon, he's trying. He actually, in that moment, for two years, he hasn't gotten anyone a gift. No one's had a fucking gift. No one's had a fucking birthday or Christmas or anything in this world. For two years, he's forgotten how to even do anything but survive. And the game, the theme of the game, the main theme is not, will he find Sarah? It's not, love will endure. It's surviving isn't living. Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. the difference and that's what he realizes in that moment maybe not consciously but he Mm -hmm. he's like oh this isn't about what does she need to survive it's what does she need or what can I provide her that will maybe make her life a little better not her survival but her life
1: yeah yeah there's a distinction there right between surviving and living yeah that's a good thing that you you point out there I think just By discovering Lisa, that's a bit of a seed that gets planted uh, in terms of Deacon's redemption arc, like you mentioned. And yeah, I don't think Deacon consciously knows it, but there's a reason that he goes to all the trouble he does to rescue Lisa, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say Deacon's probably in a state of despair when we first enter the game or enter that point in his life. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't want to admit that he's dealing with depression, but... In that state of survival, he gives up you know, his morality uh, just in order to keep himself alive. And I don't think that he knows really what he's living for. Um, obviously, we know that it's to find his wife if she's alive or not, but he won't even admit that in the beginning of the game.
0: Right. And at the beginning, he has no reason to believe she would be alive. Right. The only, the only shred of hope mm. he has is he mm-hmm. hasn't found her body. But I yeah. mean...
1: That's Come like on. an absence of a That's negative. It's like, <laughs> like
0: not... there's not any reason. That's every, everyone's fucking dead, dude. Like she's not alive. We everybody knows it. Like why? It's a miracle that he even has Boozer. Exactly. Like everyone else in the game, no one else has someone that they knew from before. Everyone is a stranger. Hmm. No one oh. knew each other from before. They've all banded together in the after of this disaster.
1: Good point.
0: It's it's a miracle that he has. That he has Boozer. And then fucking Jesse survived, Carlos. Um, <laughs> the three of them. I mean, they even say it in the game. Like, what are the odds? What are right. the chances? And then Sarah's also alive. Like, I guess, oh, I guess I should slight correction. Lisa and Tucker knew each other. They were neighbors.
1: They did. But I think we we see a big distinction there between Tucker and Lisa's relationship. Like, Tucker doesn't really, she she puts it off that, like, she cares about her for, like, 0.2 seconds. And then is yeah. like, all right, whatever. F you.
0: Whereas yeah, she's Deacon's... like, "Oh, sweet girl, remember me? We used to live down the street." Okay, here's a hoe. Get to work.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think Deacon uh, cherishes and nourishes uh, those other relationships a little bit more. Right. I, I mean, he even, I think, gives uh, Carlos a chance to turn things around. Right. He doesn't condemn him right away.
0: Um, I I don't know if it's so much of a chance to turn things around. I, I but I think he sort of recognizes that it's too far gone he I think it's more a sort of chance to explain himself,
1: ah, oh, that's a good point ah yeah,
0: uh, yeah. but but definitely, it's um, like you say, it's it's sort of Deacon realizing, oh, this is a person from my past. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, he did used to be a person and not mm-hmm. just an enemy. like most people in this world jump to us versus them. And Deacon is because he's our main character, so he's the guy who. We are going to explore these this morality, this idea of humanity, this idea of can you regain what you have lost?
1: Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. whereas the
0: other characters support Deacon's journey through that exploration of that theme. So, yeah, so it's it's kind of interesting how he gives Carlos Jesse a chance to at least explain himself. He's not going to let him go. He knows that Jesse isn't redeemable. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he wasn't even when he got kicked out of the mongrels, like from that point on, this guy is an asshole and doesn't deserve anything, but he still wants answers, which is different from, oh, that's the enemy, let's just kill him.
1: Absolutely. I, I think what Days Gone does really well is, <clears throat> in terms of a narrative piece, it it allows us to see that world through Deacon's eyes. Um, as you know, in storytelling, I feel like you have to have a character that the audience can relate to or that the audience can have things explained to them Mm -hmm. by a certain character's perspective. But Days Gone almost puts us in the seat or puts us alongside Deacon, who is the main character. So we do tend to bond with him. We do tend to, I don't know if I want to say like relate necessarily, but
0: Yeah, video games are kind of a a different animal to movies. In movies, we know we're watching an external person. Mm-hmm. watching a character story in video games we are the character we're in control like 99 percent of the time it's yeah. me that's running through the forest yeah. using the bulrush tech uh skill on the <laughs> freaks knock them to the ground and smashing their face in with the superior mace that's me doing that that's not deacon uh and then i'm that's like true. remind myself i'm not a psycho i'm not actually doing those things it's a video game but it's not a choice that deacon is making whether to use the crossbow or the sniper rifle is I'm making that choice. So it does get a little muddied when you're playing a game where you're in control most of the time, but the narrative is in control of how things unfold, what the story is. I'm not in control. It's not a decision tree story, which interestingly days gone was originally going to be a decision tree Mm. uh, where you would have different, different options that would affect the outcome at the end of the game For example, whether or not Boozer survives, Uh, you know. um, I don't know. Actually, I don't know what else was was going to be planned, but it was supposed to be a a decision tree. Uh, I think killing Leon was a decision that you would face early on in the game, um, whether or not to execute him or leave him for the freaks, maybe. So you've got
1: me hyped up for a B version of this game. I want to play that one too, just (laughs) to compare. Right,
0: right. I mean, that would be kind of cool. I think they nixed it because it was just getting too complicated. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, it's a—I don't know how long you spent playing this game. Your first playthrough, I—I I put in like ninety to a hundred hours on my first playthrough. <laughs> I can't imagine having that much story be a decision tree, and you get to the end, and it's like, oh, I got—I got the shit ending. Right, oh, now right. i am got to go do it again. I would do it again because I fucking love the game. But I think a lot of people <laughs> would be overwhelmed, like regular gamers. You know, people who maybe want to move on to something else. People who are not sucked mm-hmm. in by it might be overwhelmed and think well i don't want to put in a hundred hours just to get a different ending like i'll just look it up on youtube
1: (laughs) absolutely yeah i think i spent about between 60 and 70 hours um on my first playthrough there um i tried to do all the side quests and stuff too but I, i guess maybe i just tried to fast travel a little too much i didn't want to (laughs) appreciate the scenery maybe as much as it deserves but
0: yeah i mean the story does grab you and it does you get to a certain point probably about halfway through and it's like i felt just compelled every day i was like i have to know what happens i have to know is he going to find sarah once he finds sarah are they going to fix their relationship what's what is going to happen how is this going to unfold what is going to happen with the colonel and the militia and lost lake are we going to save lost lake what's like just everything i'm just like okay what what next what next what next what next it's it pulls you along and you can't stop playing it
1: yeah one of the things you brought up is that video games are a modality that do blur those lines between i'm playing the game versus the characters making these decisions mhm i think that's what draws us in too and i think that does say a lot about the appeal of the game i think that's the hook right as we're playing the character 99% of the time but when we have these narrative cutscenes um we see the character having their own dialogue and choices, but there is that connection that we have with the characters because we've been controlling them for, right. for X number of hours. Um, but I think in terms of player base, how emotionally and mentally we get tied to the characters, I think that has a large part of it as well. Um, I think we, we feel what the characters feel if we're mm-hmm. taking the game seriously.
0: Yeah, empathy.
1: Um, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. it's empathy, and whether people know that that's what's going on, there's definitely been games that I've played and beaten, and just just felt so heavy afterward, or felt so taxed emotionally, yeah. and and days gone. Thankfully, I think it does end on a good note. Kind of has that happy upswing in the mm. last act, um, but I'm I'm grateful for that because it helped me feel like an actual hero. Felt me remind oh. me that I was playing a, a game, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. It's definitely a victory. And it's a victory sure. not just for Deacon finding Sarah and defeating mm-hmm. the militia, um, killing Schizo.
1: <laughs> it
0: is, it's a victory for Deacon's redemption. Yeah. We know it's a deserved win. He's not, because right at the beginning, he's he's selling people to a slave camp and he he's almost, I mean, he's a drifter. It's like, is he a, is he a marauder? I mean, is he basically one step away from living in an ambush camp? Apart from the fact that he just doesn't want to be around people, but like him and Boozer could very easily slip and be bad guys. They're not. They're, they're not really good guys. Deacon's not really a good guy at the beginning.
1: No, he's an anti-hero. and I think it's a. He's a drifter, a vigilante, if you want to label him that. But we see that that redemption arc. We see that change. Mm-hmm. Um, in his mannerisms and i think that does have a lot to do with his own mental health i think the fact that he finds his wife and they can make things work like he's golden at that point right like right. as long as he, him and sarah and boozer are good uh i don't know if there's anything else that could really touch him <laughs> i don't think yeah. he is gonna stress out about much else
0: yeah well let's you mentioned sarah and boozer let's get into to their points of view and where yeah. they're at
1: so, I guess well, Boozer seems to be the, the second introduced character. We'll touch on him first before we get to Sarah. But obviously, Boozer, as we find out, is dealing with the loss of his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I think that took place before. Yes, the world yeah, that went to was shit.
0: before everything collapsed. Mm-hmm. We see him
1: dealing with it through alcohol. I mean, that's where he gets his name from, right? Right. <laughs> um, he masks his feelings by numbing them, and he even puts himself in life-threatening situations similar to Deacon, I think that he feels responsible for his wife's death, or at least that he doesn't deserve to live if she's not alive. Mm-hmm. So he has a hard time coping with that that loss. Obviously, she was very important to him. Um, I might be generalizing a little too much, but given that he was in a, an MC, I don't know how open and vulnerable he is on the day-to-day, so I'd imagine his wife maybe is that one or two people that uh, was able to help him feel safe and mm. allow him to express himself emotionally, you know, instead of keeping it all bottled up.
0: Yeah, he definitely seems like the guy who uh, puts on a front. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, tough guy. I mean, look at his tattoos. He's covered in tattoos. They're very artistic. But he has mayhem and vengeance on the sides of his head. <laughs> like, wow. he's he's definitely has this spiky exterior of, I'm a fucking tough guy, just fucking try it. But he... When you see him with Deacon, they're brothers he's he's almost not soft in like a in a bad way but like no. he has a friendship there and a um a brotherhood with with Deke and you know he uses humor he's a very humorous mm-hmm. guy he is very in touch with his emotions and very in touch with Deacon's emotions but there's that pride and there's that oh I need to be masculine so I can't talk about it."
1: Yeah, when he's with Deacon and, and Sarah and the puppy,
0: mm-hmm. oh, yeah,
1: I would see we see the more well-rounded side of, of Boozman that, like you said, he puts on that spiky exterior, which I would say it's a role that he plays mm. very intentionally. But let, let me ask you, what do you why do you think he puts on such a tough exterior? What do you think that what purpose does that serve for him?
0: Um, I mean, I think it's just his place in the world the way he uh again the way he survives i mean he's the enforcer for the mc so like that's his job is Mm -hmm. to be the tough guy um and i think it's probably i get the impression I, i mean this is just pure projection i don't know this isn't said in the game but he seems like someone who that's just always been the way he's learned from his experiences that he will come out on top if he is the tough guy yep That, you know, if he shows emotions, well, it's not going to, he's not going to get what he wants or it's not going to go well. The best course of action is to hide your emotions and to be a tough guy. And that's how you survive.
1: Yeah. I I think it's okay to project a little bit. Like I said, uh, (laughs) people, um, tend to fall into sometimes similar categories in terms of our behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not always as unique as we would like to think we are. But (laughs) yeah, I would imagine there's a hurt or scared little boy inside a boozer somewhere that he has to protect with his big muscles and tattoos and
0: Mm.
1: his role as an enforcer. Like, that's scary. (laughs) Just the word itself. You're like, oh my God, don't mess with that guy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, the first impression when you first see him, it's like, oh, geez, I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of that guy. Because sure. he's big, he's intimidating, he's tattooed, he's, you know, his clothes, he's got all the patches and everything. And it's like, ooh, yeah, scary man. But then you get to know him in the game and it's like, oh, he's a really cool dude. I mean, mm-hmm. I think most people who play the game really fucking love Boozer. I've asked a lot of people like who their favorite character is and they all say Boozer or a lot of people say <laughs> Boozer. Um, and it's, I, my first impression was that he was, it was all front uh-huh. And I didn't, I didn't see beyond it a little bit. My first playthrough, shame on me. Shame on me for not seeing it. Um, but now I see it and I'm like, oh, yeah, he's a, he's a really fucking cool dude. I would love to sit down and have a beer with him. Um, <laughs> or just hang out with him or just, you know, be friends with him. Have the relationship that Sarah has with him. Like he's a, a real brother kind of mm-hmm. figure. But he comes across, he presents himself as a tough motherfucker that you don't want to mess with. And he does that on purpose.
1: Absolutely. And I have to comment, you know, because I know the game, when it was released, did not get the most favorable reviews. And I could see where he would appear to be a one-dimensional character right off the bat. But this game, it grows on you like a relationship. The more time you spend with it, it it evolves. It becomes something that's layered like an onion, right? (laughs) It has multiple aspects to it.
0: Uh for example, I mean Boozer's whole thing with with the burn on his arm and at the beginning it's like, Oh, it's fine, I just need a couple of days. I'll be fine, I'll be fine. It it's okay. I don't need any of that lavender salve, like I'm I'm fine. He, he, he can't hides admit it. hurt. Yeah. Yeah, he can't admit weakness and mm-hmm. pain. Mm-hmm. And then that but that as a story, like that okay, sure. If you just take that scene or that you know, you play it for like five hours and you get to that bit and you're like, oh, this guy is so like one dimensional the whole point of the story is that it's setting up a uh, potential to lose himself mm-hmm. in, in and be lost by the world, uh, and and lose himself in his own insecurities and his own like not allow himself to be saved. When you get to Lost Lake, and he has his arm amputated, and he's at the farm, and you have that one mission where you have to go talk to him, and it's literally he doesn't even yeah. want to talk to you, yeah. and everyone is like. A lot of people play that and they're like, what the fuck is this bullshit mission where you just go talk to him and he's like, yeah, whatever. And that's it? Mission done? Like, what the (laughs) fuck? But that's the point of the story is Boozer is losing himself. He becomes suicidal. He gets drunk and goes wandering out in the shed, you know, and and the screamer is introduced and you get chased by the horde. Like he is actively trying to kill himself or at least allow himself to be murdered by the world
1: yeah i would definitely say there's a suicidal intention there but i don't i think he has too much pride to actively take his own life right um, yeah it's like easier means
0: yeah i i will put myself in the most danger possible so that the world will kill me
1: yep Yep. uh, yeah what brings him to that point well we know like i said he he lost his wife um he and Deacon still wear their colors, so there's still an identity that they're holding mm-hmm. on to. They still have that brotherhood. Um, Remind me, does does he get into this suicidal mindset after he's lost his arm?
0: Yes. Okay. Yes. it's after. That,
1: good. That plays into what I was going to say is that after he loses his arm, he can't ride anymore. Mm-hmm. He has difficulty managing a weapon, so he can't defend himself, so that we right. see some of that weakness creep in.
0: Yeah, I mean, you actually, the game gives you, unlocks Booze's shotgun after he loses his arm because he he can't use clever, it anymore. clever
1: clever clever
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so we see in terms of people's mental health and identity is so important we need to know why maybe not have all the answers but we need to know why we're here and what purpose we serve how am i useful right. i think people need to feel like they're here for a reason if i can say that uh, whether it's big or small we have to know somebody else maybe depends on us or something needs
0: us yeah, I mean, Boozer's whole identity is enforcer, tough guy. Yep. And like, yep. oh shit, you, you can't ride. You can't be an enforcer. You can't be a tough guy. Um, I mean, I just think, like, even for someone like me, I don't consider myself a tough person at all. If I lost my arm, my arm is not really part of my mm. identity necessarily. I could still write without my arm. I could still do the podcast without an arm. But I would feel self-conscious. Yep. I would feel... Uh, damaged i would feel i would just feel weird and vulnerable and that's just you know me a normal person whereas boozer it's like you say it's tied to his identity in so many different ways so many parts of him can no longer function he can't ride he can't hold a gun he can't be physically intimidating and he has that stupid little prosthetic thing Uh, until he gets the knife but it's (laughs) it's just like oh it just seems so i can see why he sees it as being so sad
1: right right and uh, you know we see him recover if i can say that i think i think he doesn't uh get rid of the things that have happened or the loss of his arm but we see that he as a person grows Mm. uh, which diminishes the negative impact of what's happened to him so we see him start to recover, of course, once he finds something worth living for, which is a puppy, right? And, yeah. and I think a lot of people in modern day or regular life get pets and sometimes have kids as a way of giving their life meaning and purpose. Uh, it gives us something to care for. It's fulfilling for us to, to help something else grow, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but grief is probably the defining characteristic of this character, if I can say that. Um, I think that's what takes its uh, heaviest toll on him. And if I may, I, I think I, I'm stealing this from a TV show I watched, I can't remember exactly, but I like to define grief as love persisting. Oh. Um, it never really goes away or gets smaller, but when we have something that allows us to continue growing, the hole in our heart seems to have less of a detrimental impact because we have more to us. Um, So eventually, you know, Boozman can make light of his lost arm. He cracks jokes in a self-deprecating way.
0: He has a lot of funny (laughs) one-liners.
1: He does. Yeah, I think healthy humor definitely heals, but we have to get ourselves to that place first.
0: That's all we have time for this week. We will break down the rest of the characters and our own chances of survival in A Days Gone World in part two next week. Okay, a couple things before we wrap up you can support the days gone podcast via buymeacoffee.com slash days gone pod where you can throw a little money in the tip jar if you're feeling generous that really helps me with the overhead costs of running the show and i want to say a big thank you to basics of pain for buying me coffee this week you are a fucking rock star and i appreciate the support so very much You can also support the podcast by simply leaving a review on Spotify or whatever app you listen to us on. Also, subscribe and give us a thumbs up on YouTube. That helps the algorithm do its thing so more people can find the show. You can email me your thoughts, comments, opinions, and counter arguments at daysgonepod at gmail.com. You can also find me moderating the Days Gone subreddit. Thanks for listening. Weaver out.